Hello and welcome to Healing From Within. I am your host, Cheryl Glick, author of The Living Spirit, Answers for Healing and Infinite Love, which shares stories of spiritual awakening, spiritual communication, healing energies, miracles, and a way to remember our deeper selves through intuition and higher consciousness. Today I welcome Tara Judson Styrell, author of Sanity Lost and Found, who shares a true story of brainwashing, abuse, and recovery through the power of love. Hello, Tara, and thank you for joining us today. Hello, Cheryl, and thank you for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure. Tara, as listeners of Healing From Within know, well know, my guests and I share intimate stories of becoming aware of life, not merely on a physical level, but on an energetic level, knowing that in the connection to energy and feelings, we can know metaphysically much about the dual nature of our lives, our physical and spiritual energies, and perhaps begin to answer age-old questions. Who are we? And where do we come from? And what is this life really all about? In today's episode of Healing from Within, we will journey with the main character of the book through childhood trauma, emotionally distant parents, life on a farm, rural farm, drugs, sex, and the turmoil of the 70s to a cult lifestyle and how falling prey to A very sick man could be a psychopath, a sociopath, or narcissistic personality sort of person. (laughs) Any of those ways. Took away her freedom and will and made her a victim through fear and her own false perceptions or irrationality. So, Tara, I always love to ask my guests to think back to their childhood, and you had a very interesting one, and remember a person, place, or event that may have shown them the life path, work, or interests they might pursue as an adult. For I think within the child is already the story of their life. So think back to an early remembrance. Well, that's an interesting question, Cheryl. Um, Probably the strongest relationship I had was with my grandmother, who helped me appreciate nature, animals. She was incredibly kind, and she was very kind to others as well. And she became a healing force in my life after I returned quite shattered and broken. Mm-hmm. And and so she was kind of a, a therapist in the making. You know, people asked her to be their grand, her grandmother, their grandmother, excuse me, even though she wasn't their grandmother, and she just kept giving and giving and um i feel like that's who i internalized was able to rediscover when you know once i had gotten into my right mind Mm. okay yes she absolutely was there for you throughout your life and she did help you at a time when you did need it but i i remember reading that you were four years old hospitalized twice with life-threatening um, yeah. gastroenteritis and uh-huh. on the second occasion I was interested in this watched from the ceiling as a medical staff they rushed all around your body and you were above and watching them so I found yes, that and, and I actually heard the doctor turn to my mother and say she's in God's hands now we've done everything we can and um, I think you know, looking back, I mean, I wasn't conscious as a little girl what had happened, but I think looking back that I decided I really wanted to live mm. because I remembered awakening not 
remembering any of that until later on that, oh, I could have died. <laughs> yes. I had experiences as a child, too, and couldn't figure out exactly what was happening, you know, there were faces at the window in uh, the yeah. night, and there was, you know, a, a feeling of touching going down my arm, stickly my arm, so I stayed under the covers, an awareness of something being present, but I had no idea what it was, and it, I was just a very sensitive child, so right. very, very gifted child, very bright child, uh, a very open, loving child, like you. And, yeah. then, and then you had another experience at five, which I want a listening audience to, to hear, because when you had that done, you had eye surgery. Right. They didn't prepare you before you went, so the, the situation went from bad to worse, and it didn't right. have to. So tell us about that. It didn't well, have to. No, it's fine. It's not upsetting anymore. And, but, you know, the... the you know, children were just seen and not be heard. There was no respect for a child's mm. sensitivity and, you know, the shock trauma of being betrayed and then having something very offensive. So, you know, I was wheeled into this big operating room and these people with masks leaned over me. And, and of course, I was scared because, you know, I was <laughs> going to have this big surgery. And, and they said, oh, do you want one of these masks like us? And I said, well, sure. You know, that looked like a cool thing kids want that and instead this ether had was forced onto my face and eyes it was i hope nobody ever has to smell ether it's foul and Mm. there's something really sickening about it very frightening to have then people hold you down while you're kicking and screaming and it it taught me that you know to resist is useless so we create a learned helpless default learned helplessness default in our brain we instead of fighting or being able to flee, neither one of those was uh, I could do, then, you know, I learned that helplessness or that frozen place, and that later was what was exploited when I had this parano- these series of paranormal experiences, didn't know what to do with them, and then someone found me, and I was incredibly vulnerable to being unduly influenced. That was the brainwashing. Yeah. So, yeah, we need to tell children, this is what's going to happen, and I think that they do that nowadays. There's there's an awareness that children are incredibly insensitive, sensitive, and adults have been incredibly insensitive to their needs, and I think that we have realized they need to know that well, this is going to happen. Let's put it happen. this way. It's a little better, but it has far to go, because in oh, actuality, absolutely. in actuality, a child on a soul level, a sensitive level, an energy level, is aware of many things. They can oh, express yeah. it, always uh, communicate it. But we must respect them as souls who have their own uh, journey and heart and mind, yeah. impulses, and, and treat the. We must treat everybody that way, whether it's a with man, respect. woman, a child, with respect and trust that yeah. they know their own mind and will and stop trying to imprint so many other thoughts that we have on someone else everyone deserves the right to to flow through this life and discover what is valuable and important for their needs so we still have way to go but you were described (laughs) in the book yeah we we need to do that you were described in the book as a bright and beautiful child brought up by what many would think an idyllic ranch setting and, however, the seeds for your being susceptible to being the victim later on of a psychopath and cult lifestyle 
began in the experiences of your early childhood. Can you tell us what went wrong? Because I want our listeners to know um, that they need to be aware of who their children are with at all times. Right. And and, and uh, can you tell us what what you think uh, was very hard for you to deal with early on and how to caution parents to watch for these problems? Right. Well, medical traumas, and I had quite a few of them very early before I was five. I'd been in the hospital uh, three times and had another surgery besides. Uh, medical traumas really violate the integrity of our belief that we're safe. And then you couple that with emotional neglect and uh, children start developing what we call core shame. In other words, their worth is comes into question, and uh, we need contact. And when children are neglected and their emotions aren't recognized, then it really sets up a disparate relationship with that child and the world. So the world is no longer safe, and that child no longer feels loved or lovable. And so that became my life and and it's not any fault of my parents they just were overwhelmed as yes. they were they were yeah they were who they were and they had their own yes. issues as all people do but you write yes. this you write this as a child all you wanted to hear from your mommy was a hug all you wanted or to hear from your mommy was a hug a soft look or some other indication that you were loved and lovable, despite all the mistakes that you might have thought you were making, which you probably weren't making either. That's just she a perception. Yeah. She was right. she had her own anger, and your father had his own issues too. So it seems perception of failure, low self-esteem, and confidence are the seeds that allow someone to fall prey to yes. terrible relationships and friendships. You didn't believe you were worthy of anything better on some level. Now, I can hear in your voice just how gifted you are and how oh, and how how much you have grown beyond any of these situations we're talking about here. But I want you to talk about when you were six years old and at school. Oh, be molested? Yeah, yeah, that was a bummer. I mean, so I got... I was being groomed by this person, and every pedophile, you know, every perpetrator knows who their victim can be because when we have been neglected emotionally, we're looking to fill that void. And so as children, you know, almost always the children who are victims of of perpetrators have an unmet need, usually an unmet emotional need, and with the exception of, you know, parents who take advantage of their children, that's another story. But those mm. parents are unhealthy as well. So this, so we did shop, and, um, and I was someone who really loved to please. That's obviously how I was learning how to get my emotional needs met. And, and, you know, being criticized all the time, you want to please people. And this guy started grooming me, and then, um, you know, I don't know if he hit his screwdriver or what, but... Supposedly, this tool went missing, and he I knew probably, exactly what it was. Yeah, he probably did. He, he said, yeah, I'm he sure said, he did. He, because he probably knew the tool was missing. You were in class. Uh, he asked if somebody knew how to help him find it. And, of course, you were a very bright, loving child. You lifted your hand. I was that kind of kid, too. Always yes. so anxious to please and, and to go please. do everything right. for everybody. So, right. so you, you, you went outside with him. 
You went yes, because the teacher thought he's a teenage boy. He comes here, he's okay. You know, she didn't think about it at all. People uh, didn't. He was, you know, he was uh, the the son of the groundskeeper, and you know, who would have thought that he would take advantage of me like that? And um, and I, you know, in retrospect, the fact that I hadn't been safe, you know, that's what emotional neglect causes is a lack of safety. So. I didn't feel like I had the ability to tell anyone, and so I, I forced myself to hold that terror, you know, the, the trauma inside. I was afraid to get my teacher in trouble. I was afraid to be in trouble, that I wouldn't be believed in the first place. So it's important to believe your children. When they say something awful has happened, it's really important to but, validate them. But the point is, and this is what we have to discuss, many children will not say anything. No, I didn't. I was afraid I know. To. And many children, they're unable to express it. They're so frightened by it. They're so horrified by it. And they're so afraid not to be believed. So right. what, yes. what can we tell our listeners today? How can, how can we start to teach our children something so they won't be taken advantage of? And so if something happens, they will talk up. How, how do we go around about correcting this? It's very rampant. It's not a well, little problem. No, unfortunately, it is overly rampant. It's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's really a, kind of a plague right now. What happens is when you don't pay attention to your child or engage on one-on-one time with that child free of distractions, that means screen-free, you know, eyeball to eyeball, they are not accustomed to being validated. And so when they have emotional feelings, it's so important to give them validation to help them soothe their feelings so that what you're giving them is permission that I'm not wrong if I have these feelings, that I can go to the parent, one, you know, attachment figure, and be soothed so that then I know that I have safety. And when children are ignored or they're with people who don't care about them and just let them cry it through, then they know that that I'm, it's not okay to have these feelings and I have to deal with them myself and that's what I did. So there's a very learned um, psychiatrist, Dr. Dan Siegel, who talks about the four S's. This is really simple. Your children need safety and not just physical safety but emotional safety. They need to be seen. That means they need to be validated. You need to have that one-on-one time. They need to be soothed. They need to have their emotions accepted. Oh, I see you're angry. Okay, but we don't hit your sister when you're angry. So you don't make them wrong, but you sit with them and you help them learn how to manage their emotions. And they need to have a secure base, an attachment figure they can trust to be supportive and to care for them. So that's where emotional neglect comes in. You know, the opposite of that is, of course, emotional neglect. So no, you had, you had your grandmother. <laughs> so I did, but she was very busy. You know, she was, um, you know, helping co-manage the ranch and you know, et cetera, et cetera. But every now and then, yes, I mean, like in the instances that I mentioned, she was incredibly empathic. And you know, I remember my favorite horse had died, and she said, "Oh dear, you don't know." And there are other instances that I related because those are healing moments when someone of an adult notices you in your emotional morass it's so empowering it's so healing it's like a a life preserver in the ocean of all those emotions that we can't manage as children we need to have a caretaker 
create a holding environment, hold us, or either, you know, hold us with their their gaze, with their impact, with their words. You know, they they have an amazing ability to help us out of that, you know, sea of emotions. That was beautifully said. And you, are, you. you as a healer and I as a healer do this all the time with everyone yes. we meet. But for, for parents listening today, your children deserve your complete attention. You must find time. You just des- described what has to be done. You mis- must find time to know them and help them know themselves. So then they will have trust, which most children lose very early on in life due to the imprints by other people on them uh, that wound them. So that was very, very wise what you just said. So let's Thank go you. on to, as a young adult, you joined yeah. the Peace Corps, but actually you went there first with Graham. Tell us about right. that. Tell us about the turbulent 70s, immersing yourself in the culture of South America and how it affected you. Well, um, you know, we got liberated with birth control pills, and so I was in the process of discovering sex and drugs and all of that, really upset with the status quo, the Vietnam War was going on, there was lots of political unrest, and plus all the, just all the exploration that was happening, it was truly becoming a hippie, and when Graham um, was in Peace Corps, we decided we'd have an open relationship, and then we decided to be committed, I was um, going to a university in, um, in teacher education, but there were so few jobs that it looked like it would be ridiculous to graduate because there weren't jobs. Teachers were camping out on school lawns to get the few jobs that there were. And he said, if you love me, you'll follow me. And I thought, well, South America, why not? I'd been to Mexico, which had opened my eyes to many of the mysteries in life. I had always wondered where we come from, what is this concept of God, seeing uh, animals die right before me who had been so unsettling. And I wondered, you know, well, what happens when you die? And so South America just seemed to be the right next step. I was in love with him. My parents were divorcing. Everything was falling apart in the life that I knew. So um, when I went there, I was incredibly naive, you know, braless, mini skirts, long hair. (laughs) You know, I, I, I see you and I see my younger sister. I wasn't like that. I was methodical, business-oriented, and very practical. But my younger sister went out to California and lived exactly the (laughs) life you're talking about. So it was part of the times, and it was also part of her emotional childhood and her conditioning that caught her up in it, just like yours. But I I, want to go on to... um, You had some experiences down there that we would consider metaphysical. You, You... thought yes. about UFOs, you thought about ghosts or or oh, spiritual energy, and you saw yeah. things. So tell us yes. a little bit of that, just a little bit. Well, the, the Colombians, I mean, used to, I mean, they're very westernized now, but many of them embrace the spiritual and the the paranormal. And, in you know, I used to think that was just because they smoked a lot of marijuana, but, I, you know... <laughs> Uh, I found out that was they were open to it, and they're they're very spiritualist. And um, one of the first experiences I had was with the urn that you know grabbed my 
ankles and then you know you said you saw a face in the window well, mm. so did I and I covered myself up and was like what what was that you know just freaked out completely and heard a noise and then it had turned and you know I, I write about this meticulously in the book because I was a, you know total skeptic and me yeah, too <laughs> yeah and, and it took quite a few times I mean I actually saw someone appear and disappear disappeared in front of me. He walked up in front of me and he told me, someday you'll find what you're looking for. And I'd always been trying to find the answers to life because eventually I started working with, I mean, I saw so much poverty and so much oppression. I just didn't understand how if we have one life to live, how could it be so unfair to these innocent people? You know, it didn't look like they had done anything to deserve all this suffering. So he appeared and, and, and told me, that in Spanish someday I would find what I'm looking for and he turned around and took a step to my roommate and said something to her and then, you know, walked ten steps back towards the road and disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like... Well, I, ha- I have many stories like that in my new book that will be coming out, New Life Awaits. But, uh, yeah, he stepped away and you thought, your friend said, Gwen said... Maybe he was, he an, was angel. an angel. And I, I was like, no. And I, yeah, I ran after him and, and kind of freaked out. An Indian lady who was weaving, when I, you know, ran down her path and <laughs> shouted at her, did you see a man walk by here? You know, like a crazy <laughs> guy. And uh, so anyway, uh, I started recognizing that there was a lot more to life than I had ever been exposed to. And then, shall I tell you about the pillars of light or do you want me to? So that was the, the well, culminating. Before you go on to that, let me just tell you about this. You know, in my book, Life is No Coincidence, I have many stories of people who have met in challenging times. People just came in to help and, and give a message, and then they weren't there when you went to look to, for them. And so when my mother was in intensive care, she was in oh. intensive care after a car accident, and then she oh. suffered a heart attack, and she was and not doing well. And a young man came into the room, and he said to me, my name's Timothy, and I'm going to help your mother. Oh. And I felt a moment of hell, of quietness, and, and then a few, maybe a week later, she left intensive care to another part of the hospital, and she now had a feeding tube down her nose. She wasn't doing well. And suddenly, Timothy entered the room, and I, I ran over to him, and I said, my mother's not doing well, like when you were taking care of her. And he didn't even say anything. He walked over to the bed, and he said to her, you don't need that feeding tube. You can eat on your own. And the, oh ne- and the next morning when I returned to my mother's room, the feeding tube was at. She was eating a little jello with the help of a nurse there. And I was so, I was so excited. I ran to the office to find Timothy because I, <laughs> I, I wanted to help him, you know, thank him for helping my yes, mother once again. But there was nobody named Timothy on the staff. I love it. I and, had chills as you described Yes, all. and since that time... There have been many Timothys that appear. Anytime I have a challenging new insight or situation, it seems, and I know this to be true because I'm an empath and a medium, there (laughs) are souls and loved ones all around us and helpers from spirit. We really, truly are never alone. So your your story just made me think of that. Do you want to tell us about the Pillars of Light? (laughs) 
Well, um, sure. It uh, it really turned me upside down and uh, kind of sealed the deal for me in terms of my life path. Um, I was with a friend, and she was describing a recent trip to Machu Picchu. She'd found this book. It was about aliens had had taken this man up to their place and was saying that, you know, Earth was going to end, and I was kind of listening very skeptically, uh-huh, uh-huh. And she said she was going back. She'd been in Peace Corps previously and had been there for almost like, I don't know, 10, 15 years, how, whenever. She was one of the original groups to begin in Peace Corps. And uh, I said, well, I plan on being here for a long time. I have found the most rewarding work ever in my life. I feel like for the first time, I feel satisfied and at peace. And then all, just as soon as that was out of my mouth, there's uh, the two pillars, blue, white, blue light, appeared off to my left, and I heard this strange kind of, you know, sound, and all of a sudden this information came streaming into me, and it was, life as you know it on planet Earth will not continue unless humans change the way they're living. And I sat there dumbstruck and like, what? And then more information came in. It was like, you need to leave Peace Corps and return to the States to share this message. You need to awaken people to this message. And uh, and I was like, no, no, I don't want to do that, no. And I started crying. I was like, no, you can't ask me to do this. Well, you want to wanna know something, Tara? Every time yeah. I, I've been given a message... <laughs> I've always said, I don't think so. Oh, you're going to write three books. Oh, you're going to be a medium. Oh, you're going to, uh, you know, I, I would go, well, everybody has these gifts. I don't think so. Oh, you're going to take <laughs> yoga. You, you know, you're going to lead a group. You're going to teach. Yeah. <laughs> no, but people yeah. would come and walk by me the way that man walked by you and give me these messages, and I would go, I don't think so, but I've done everything. Everything that was suggested to me by higher spirit, I yes. embrace. For the moment, I don't, but then I do. But but what I really want people to know, we don't have much time now. Uh, okay. What would you like them to take away after reading your story of love? There was some loss. There was a venture, and there was um, a terrible bad experience with a very disturbed man who abused you terribly. We didn't really get into discuss that too much, but you have survived it and you're doing well in life now helping other people. And so Thank you. what do you want to take what what do you want people to take away from your book? Well, even the abuse, it was how the worst things that happen to us can become the best things. It can lead to transformation. Yes. You know, Nietzsche had that very famous quote about that and how the impact of neglect and shame, whether you've been abused or medical traumas or, or emotional neglect, it causes core shame, which then later translates as self-destructive behaviors and how we can ameliorate that. But it takes love and compassion for ourselves, and then we can start extending that out to others to forgive ourselves. You know, I did some really creepy things, crappy things, and, and I put them in there because I wanted people to know that the path to peace of mind is through compassion, is through healing. Therapy helps, you know, talking with people like you helps. And then start to forgive ourselves and start to develop an energy of love and compassion inside of us. And then we can extend it to those people who maybe were our perpetrators or maybe misinformed folks like our parents. They were doing the best that they could. Absolutely, and, yeah. Yes, that a sick mind 
will learn, you know, is going to do these things and learning how to be present in the moment and aware and accepting the creative essence that's always available to us through miracles, through angels, through, you know, people who are tuned in and aware like you. It can heal us and it will always, if we continue that path, lead to a non-emotional place, which is so important to work through those emotions so that we can reclaim the joy or the peace of mind, the essence of who we are. We are love. Yes. But emotions kind of obscure that. So I was hoping that people could see that, you know, no matter how far down they feel they are, and, you know, I tried to take my life several times, and each time had divine intervention because it just wasn't meant to be. But, oh, my gosh, I was, like, so uh, just like, I give up. I can't do this anymore. This is impossible. And Well, now we... we there's a lot of suicide going on in the country yeah. and the world. Yeah. I want to say this. No, we can't give up. Life is too precious. No. Our no. souls are too precious. We yes. are, we are, we're, nothing's ever lost. It's only found again in a new way. And, and there's nothing good or bad. Every experience we have had or will have serves some purpose of our inner soul energy and we do it is ultimately love we are ultimately love yes. we are ultimately eternal beings of light and uh, your story as difficult as it was for me to read when I hear you speak about it with such understanding and compassion and forgiveness you you have gotten everything you needed out of what happened to you and you are now what you always were which yes, were from the you. beginning of the moment of your life here and will be beyond here. So I, I, I think you expressed that so fabulously in, in this show today. So I want to thank you, Tara Judson Starrell, author of Sanity Lost and Found, a true story of brainwashing and recovery, showing a clear profile of how childhood trauma, emotionally distant parents, drugs, sex, and lack of esteem can be a powerful prerequisite for falling into a cult lifestyle or or alcoholism or drugs or involvement with a psychopath, sociopath or narcissistic personality disorder individual, any of which can lead to the dissolution of mind, body, heart and soul. To read about how easy it is to fall prey to all these situations, read this book. Go to Amazon.com In summarizing today's episode of Healing from Within, it is the hope of both Tara and myself that we shine light on a very dark lifestyle that oppresses many women here and in other parts of the world. In the name of spirituality or religion, some groups might enslave and abuse women and children. Some yeah. people, yeah, some people, this is the hard part for me, some people may not have families to bail them out of the bondage they find themselves in, but for anyone who has allowed themselves to be victimized, for anyone who has doubted their value, and for anyone wanting to protect their children from such vulnerabilities, we suggest that our schools and judicial systems, our religious organizations and medical institutions talk out about these practices, liberate people who are held in life-threatening living conditions. We must learn to talk up and teach our children to talk up at any sign of abuse and ask for help until someone or some agency or family surfaces to end the abuse. And please, those who are listening, just look up and ask spirit. 
your guides, teachers, yeah. and loved oh, ones yeah. to help you. They want to be asked for help. They will yeah. not intervene unless they are asked. So Tara, Tara and I would have you know that whatever trauma or suffering you have known, there is always hope and guidance if we begin to trust our own right and divine destiny of love and happiness, which is our birthright. I am Cheryl Glick, host of Healing from Within, author of The Living Spirit, and invite you to visit my website, CherylGlick.com, to read about and listen to leaders in the metaphysical, science, spiritual, medical, psychology, and energy healing alternative modalities. Also, the arts and music fields discuss our human and divine condition and ways to deal with changes challenges for our best life shows may also be heard on dreamvision7radio.com and webtalkradio.net thank you